It's been uh, 56 weeks since COVID-19 has become a regular part of our vocabulary. It's been 56 weeks that we began lockdowns here uh, in the United States. It's been 56 weeks that we first started not being able to meet on church campuses, in church facilities. Obviously now, some weeks into and some months into COVID-19 and the lockdowns, we were given the privileges to meet again and uh, have on-campus services. It's been 51 weeks since uh, Easter last year. And Easter last year was certainly different than this, wasn't it? We didn't have an Easter service. First time in 24 years of this church's history that they had not had a, we had not had a Easter celebration service on campus. It was all done online. Many of you were with us in that. At that time in Easter of last year, we were five weeks into the pandemic, and it was new to us. There was a lot of angst, a lot of uncertainty. We were told it'll be just a few weeks, and then things will be lifted, things will be better, and then we saw things getting worse and, and worse. We, uh, we were five weeks in. Some folks were appreciating a little bit of a break from school or from work. But then that little bit of a break turned into longer weeks and longer months. And for many, it began to affect uh, families. It began to affect marriages. It began to affect finances, jobs. It began to affect every part of our lives. And 51 weeks ago, in that Easter message online, I made a statement that Easter has come this year at just the right time to remind us that we have hope when all of this seems so crazy, out of control, and hopeless. But I got to say, during the last 51 weeks, it got even crazier than any of us thought it would or could, didn't it? From civil unrest to one of the most contentious, divided election seasons in the history of our nation, it's just so much chaos and so much more confusion. And so I'm going to drag up an old statement from last year and just remind you today, Easter still comes at just the right time. Easter came at just the right time that first Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead. You see, it came at just the right time because as we're going to look at the disciples and some of the followers of Christ on that resurrection day, they were at wit's end. They didn't know if they could press on any further. And at just the right time, they find the tomb empty and Jesus reveals himself to them. I present to you today, Jesus is revealing himself to us. If we'll open our eyes and see. So I went back online, thank you to Mr. Google, and I found a, an article from what is called the Tri-City Times. It's an online news publication for a community, a city in uh, Missouri. I never did find which city it was, but I gathered it was in Missouri. And they had asked students to write at the end of 2019 some uh, things for them to publish in the paper about their, their hopes and their ambitions and their goals for 2020. And then they published them on New Year's Day of 2020. So I want to read you a few of those. And let's, let's figure out, do we think it happened? Do we think it didn't happen? Do we think it was like they thought it would be? 
So Ashley says, I hope to spend more time with my family. Anybody think Ashley got to spend more time with her family? Part of her family, yes. But then she goes on, uh, over the years, I have not spent much time with them because they all live in other states. Okay, that one probably didn't happen. She says, I hope to enjoy my sister's big party in June. Anybody think she had a big party in June? Not as big as she thought it was going to be. And at last, I hope to make a trip to Mexico. I have been wanting to go for years. Bet she didn't make it last year. Emily wrote and said, my hope for the coming year is to keep my head high. Maybe, (laughs) but it was probably more challenging than she thought it would be on January 1. And not to be so high to the point where I am living in the clouds. I want to see my friends more. That one probably didn't quite happen like she thought. Arabella said, in 2020, I hope to get better sleep. Yeah. (laughs) I learned to appreciate the nap a little bit better for about 11 weeks. I hope to get better sleep. Stay away from toxic people. Okay. COVID helped with that. Lockdown helped stay away from toxic people. And babysit more. Well... Two out of three is not bad, right? Probably not a lot of babysitting jobs during lockdown. Caden says, my hopes in 2020 are to win all of my wrestling tournaments and get a ton of gold medals and go to state and win first place. Man, I hope he wasn't a senior in 2020. That would have been his last chance, and I don't think he probably had any tournaments, any gold medals to be won, no no state tournament. But he did go on to say, and play a lot of video games. Well, there you go. He got got part of his goal, probably. And then finally, Marcus says, I hope that 2020 will be a better year than 2019. Marcus, we all wished it had been. He says, I actually hope everyone will have a better 2020 than they did 2019. We had to work hard at it if we did have a better one. We, We had to put some real work into it. You see, we, we all entered the year with hopes, as we do every year. Nobody saw any of the things coming that have come down our road, except, except our Heavenly Father, who has seen and known the end from the beginning. And therein lies our hope when things are so uncertain. I said last year at Easter, Easter comes at just the right time, and it comes at the right time today. You see, Easter, this is the title of our teaching today, Easter equals hope. Easter equals hope. It literally means there is hope in every situation and circumstance. So I had you go to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start there and then we're going to go to John 20. One verse in 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter writes and he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. You know, in fact, let's read this together. Can we read it together affirming our faith on Easter Sunday? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is your hope. Through the resurrection of Christ today, 51 weeks after last Easter, 57 weeks or 56 weeks after COVID-19 and quarantine and lockdowns hit, you and I have a living hope. And that living hope means that we can be born again, according to what Peter says. We can be given new life. We can start life all over again, even in the middle of all of 
this craziness around us. We can be born again. Our sins can be forgiven. Our lives can be changed, literally transformed because Jesus has risen from the dead and we can have the assurance of eternal life with him. Because Jesus lives, we have a living hope that we will live forever with him. And that we live each day with hope in Christ. Today may already have started as a bad day for you. But because Jesus is risen, you have a living hope today that you're going to make it. You may have a doctor's appointment tomorrow. They're going to read some test results. They're going to have some things for you, some discoveries they've made, and it may be hovering over you with a spirit of angst or anxiety right now. But because Jesus has risen from the dead, you have a living hope today in him that whatever the report is tomorrow, you are going to come through because you have a living hope in the living Savior. You know what's interesting about that statement that Paul makes right there in verse 3? He's writing to persecuted Christians. Christians who every day are living in fear of losing their lives because they are followers of Christ. They've lost their jobs and their ways of income. They've lost their families. They've been ostracized from their families and even from their communities. They are an outcast. They are, they are not the, the cream of the crop considered in the community. And Paul writes and says, look, in the middle of all of that, you have a living hope. Your persecution is coming because you believe in a risen Savior, and that risen Savior is the very hope you have in coming through all of this. So we're going to talk about hope this morning, the hope that Easter brings to us. And in the original writing of the New Testament, written in the ancient Greek language, the word hope is not a wishful thinking kind of hope. If you hope the Rangers were going to make the World Series this year, if you've seen the first two games, don't put your money on them. Because it ain't looking good the first two games anyway. I mean, hey, there's what, 170-something games, or I don't know, what do they play, James? 160 or 180, somewhere? 60? 160. So there's 160 games left. Anything can happen. But it's not a wishful thinking. That word hope literally means an eager, confident expectation. I eagerly anticipate that Jesus is going to come back and take me to be with him forever. I live with the expectation that at any given moment in time, the, the, the heavens are going to resound with the trumpet sound. The, the voice of the archangel is going to command and Jesus is going to come and the dead in Christ are going to be raised first. And then any of us that are believers in Jesus that are still walking the face of the earth, we're out of here. I live. I don't hope that happens. I'm eagerly expecting it and absolutely confident that someday there's going to be a loud trumpet and it's not going to be the marching band practicing in the parking lot of the high school across the street. It's going to be the trumpet call of God. I don't hope that happens. I live every day. I, 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 that's what my living hope is. So I want you to now, if you've got your Bibles, you can go to John chapter 20, and we're going we're gonna to look at three moments where Jesus appears to individuals, to a couple of individuals personally, and then to his disciples as a, as a group. And we're going to discover how Jesus gives living hope to these individuals. 
what they're doing, what they're experiencing at the loss of Christ on the cross and, and the tomb, and then now the tomb being empty and all that confusion, and how he brings a living hope to them. The first one is Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary Magdalene is a close follower of Jesus Christ. She didn't start that way. In fact, nobody started that way, right, when he first came. But she had, she had demons. She was a demon-possessed woman. And when Jesus reached out to minister to her and to help her, it's discovered she had seven demons. And he cast all seven of those demons that were harassing Mary, he cast them out of her. Now, it's believed that Mary was a, a woman of, of wealth. Most likely, she was a widow, which would have helped acquire that, that wealth in the first century there that she had. We believe that because she became a faithful follower of Jesus and was supportive in, in many ways to Jesus and the disciples in their ministry. But she was very close to Jesus. You see, when Jesus changes your life, you want to be with him. You want to be near him. You want to be close to him. When Jesus saved me, I was... Uh, I was a music enthusiast, and I loved playing bass guitar, and I loved playing in, in bands, and I loved doing that whole thing in a secular way, not anything Christian attached to it. I wasn't even saved. But I could play that guitar for hours upon hours trying to hone my skill and, and get better and, and, and get into better groups and bands and, and bigger gigs and so on. And when I got saved, Within just a couple of days, I can still picture putting my guitar in the case and putting it under my bed. Now, nobody told me, Mark, now that you're saved, you got to stop the whole ACDC, ZZ top kind of thing. Nobody told me any of that. Didn't even tell me I had to get a haircut. But I just found that I wanted to spend time with Jesus. And so I put the guitar under my bed, and it stayed there for over a year until an opportunity at our church came to be a part of the worship team. But you see, when Jesus changes your life, Jesus set me free from an alcohol addiction. Within the first two weeks of, of knowing Jesus, I didn't know he had set me free. I knew he loved me because I felt it all over me, and, I, and I, I believed he forgave me of my sin. That night I went to that altar and asked him to come into my heart. But I didn't know what all he had done yet, and I go to, I go to a band rehearsal, and all the substances that were there, I got really, really sick, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me out in those bushes outside that house that that wasn't me anymore. And then I began to discover what it was to be a new creation. And when Jesus changes your life, you want to be close to him. In fact, the kid that took me to church that night that I got saved, he saw me changing over the months, and he said, man, Mark, he said, I don't know, but maybe I should go get in some trouble so Jesus will be more real to me. I said, no, dude, you don't want to live with that. But you see, Mary had been changed by Jesus, and so Jesus was very important to her. She was close to him, and now he's gone. She watched him die. She watched him bury him. Now she goes out on that first Sunday morning, resurrection morning, to go to the tomb. And when she gets there, the stone has been rolled away, and the tomb is empty. She runs back to get her. Uh, tell the other disciples, and then Peter and John run to the tomb. They go inside and look, and they see the grave clothes laying there, but no body. And they go back home. But Mary stays there at the tomb for a few minutes. You see, 
That's the last place she knew Jesus to be, so she's just drawn to stay for a few minutes. Ecclesiastes says, don't be too quick to leave the presence of the king. Wait and see what favor the king has. So she's just drawn to stay there. Now she's broken, she's grieving, she's mourning. And we pick up then in verse number 11. And it says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over again to look into the tomb. Now she sees two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have taken or put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, well, sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. He speaks her name and no. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to the Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The reality that Easter equals hope this morning, first reality is this. Jesus offers living hope when I'm grieving and broken. There's been a lot of grief. There's been a lot of mourning over these last 50 plus weeks. You may not realize how you've mourned loss. For some, it's been as dramatic as literally, literally losing a loved one, perhaps even to uh, this COVID virus. Some, there was such pressure and such stress on the marriage relationship that relationships have, have broken, that marriages have severed. Some found themselves for the first time in years spending much more time together than they had in a long time and found out they had spent such little time together over the years that they really didn't know what to talk about now that they were locked in the house 24-7. And that became a strain and a stress. You may have lost a source of income. You may have lost a substantial amount of your income. You may be grieving that now that the kids aren't in school, you've suddenly become a school teacher, helping them in greater ways than you've ever had to help them before. But grief is at an all-time high. The spirit of grieving, the spirit of mourning is at an all-time high. Mary's grief is at an all-time high. Most likely, she's grieved the loss of her husband at some point in her life. But now the Messiah. She grieves the loss and the pain. And all she wants to do is be close to Jesus, even if it just means going and sitting outside his tomb one more time. Maybe find some hope and peace in that. She's troubled. It's the empty tomb now that troubles Mary. But the reality is it's that empty tomb that is Mary's living hope. It is that empty tomb that's going to change everything for Mary in the next few moments. 
So maybe you're grieving this Easter. Maybe you don't even know you're grieving. But if you stopped for a little bit and you, you thought about your attitude and you thought about your emotions, you thought about how you've been responding and how things are different than they were now and, and, and in some way you're experiencing some grief. I uh, was at a minister's meeting. We meet once a month here with our Assembly of God pastors and uh, we had a, uh, a Christian Assembly of God minister who's a licensed counselor come in and, and he spoke to the group of us and brought up something really important. He said, he said, maybe you didn't lose a loved one. Maybe your church income has done well during COVID. He's talking to pastors. He says, uh, maybe you've seen people saved during COVID, but he said, I would be willing to say that you're all dealing with grief because every pastor has experienced some sense of loss. Nothing's been the same at Victory Family Church since, since lockdown. There's more than a third of our church body that we haven't seen in over a year. And so he brought out and, and helped us see, yeah, you know what, we really, he says, you got to deal with that loss. You got to deal with that sense of loss. And maybe you don't recognize what a sense of loss some of the things of this last year have, have done, but, but you, don't get, you don't stay there. You, you have hope. You have hope. You know what you do? You do what Mary did. You, you get close to Jesus. And you just wait in his presence. And he'll speak to you. And he'll bring peace. He'll bring strength. It was said through the prophet Isaiah, Jesus read it in Luke chapter 4. He said, I've been anointed by God to bind up the brokenhearted. That's what he does. He binds up the brokenness in us. So Jesus came to Mary and he gave her a living hope in the middle of her grief and in her sorrow. Second group now he comes to is the disciples. Remember, he sent her back and told her to give them a message. Now, if we read the same account in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew tells us a little bit more about what Jesus said to Mary. He said, Mary, go tell them in that, what he just read in, in John. But he says, now also tell them that, that uh, go to Galilee. Tell those guys to go to Galilee and I will meet them there. Well, we pick up now in John chapter 20 and the disciples, their world's been rocked. Remember, these are guys who were, who were fishermen who were taxed, they had gainful employment, they had families, and they had to, some of them had to tell their wives, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus and see where this thing goes. They had to lay their fishing nets down, they had to leave their tax collector's booth, and, and they had to follow Jesus. So they've given up everything to follow Jesus, and everything they thought they were going to experience has not come to pass. In fact, any hope of it coming to pass has just died on the cross and is now buried behind a huge rock in the side of a mountain. They've lost hope. Their dreams are shattered. We pick up in John chapter 19. It's, it's the same day. He met Mary that morning. He meets these guys that evening. It says in verse 19, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, or the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Yeah, I guess. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the disciples are, are in kind of an interesting position. They're, they're bound in fear behind a locked door. They don't even go to Galilee yet. They, they didn't even leave like Jesus told them to. Jesus was telling them, look, pack up the bags, get out of town and go to Galilee and I'll find you there. But they're too afraid to even leave the premises. So the second truth we discover about hope at Easter is this. Jesus offers a living hope when I'm fearful and when I'm feeling lost in life. They were fearful. They were behind locked doors. And how many of you know, if you've ever been there, and I've been there, I've shared my stories of dealing with, with fear even at the, the panic attack level in the past. You make bad decisions out of fear. You'll get yourself in a lot of financial trouble out of fear. You'll get yourself in a lot of relational problems reacting out of fear. The disciples are supposed to go to Galilee. They didn't go to Galilee. No, no, no. What they do is they choose to stay in the same city where the leaders have just arrested their leader and have crucified him and murdered him, and they don't like these disciples either. Bad decision. Jesus had a way. Jesus had a way. You know what the biggest fear for mankind is? Letting go. Letting go. When I'm afraid to let go of my life and let Jesus, if you will, take the will, I'm making a bad decision. Because I'm going to do everything I can to, to live forever. And Jesus says, here's the way. But because I'm afraid of letting go, I'll miss the way. But Jesus is our living hope when we're dealing with fear. He speaks peace into the disciples. He speaks peace into your life today. He speaks into your very fears because he is risen. You know what one of the greatest fears we have in life is? That's death. It's death. Man had always been uncertain about death. What is it like taking a step across that threshold? Years ago, when I uh, was diagnosed with, with melanoma, skin cancer, and I was, I'm a minister, I got the paper on the wall and everything, and I, but yet I was weighing out. I, I was sure I'd go to heaven. I had that confidence. But I don't like the unknown. Alicia threw me a, a surprise birthday party some years ago. She's never thrown me another one since because I acted like an absolute doofus. And so I never get a surprise party anymore. It's my fault, not hers. <laughs> I don't like the unknown. I want to know, okay, when, the, when that door into eternity opens, what should I expect? What should I expect? Just, Jesus, just give me a clue so I can take the step in. And I'm saved. We fear death. Yet Jesus has conquered death. I don't know what the first step is like, but, but I do know I, I can trust Jesus. I can trust Jesus. Whether he's literally there to pick me up and carry me through, whether there's an angel there, or whether I step across and I'm there. I don't know. But I do know he says, I will be with him forever. And I do know his word says this, Mark, where, O oh death, is its sting? Where, O oh death, is the power? Jesus Christ has conquered death. 
He is my living hope. He speaks peace into our fears. And our fears not only cause us to make bad decisions, they they create a sense of lostness and confusion. Jesus speaks to the disciples. Okay, so these guys gave up everything to follow Jesus. He's gone. What do we do now? Where do we go from here? Nobody, they don't know. They do not know. And I don't blame them, and I'm not casting a judgment on them. They do not know where they go from here because what they thought it was going to be, it's not going to happen that way now. So they're lost. I'm not talking about spiritual losses. I'm talking about lost in life. They don't know what the next step to take is. And Jesus comes to them, and he says, he said, As the Father has sent me into the world, I now send you. You see what Jesus just did in the midst of their fear and in the midst of their confusion? He says, look, your purpose is still intact. Nothing about the events three days ago have changed. In fact, you have just been elevated. Exponentially, the purpose for which I had called you three and a half years ago is now ready for launch. And I would say to all of us this morning, the living hope we have in Easter today is God's still got a purpose for you. Lockdown may have stole your dream. I got a friend in California, and the Sweeney's know him. In fact, they attended the church. Pastor Mike built a 20-something million dollar building, was only in it for a couple of months, and COVID hit, and they didn't get to go back in their building in California until just a couple of weeks ago. They had to meet outside of a 20-something million dollar brand new sanctuary for almost a year. Didn't change the purpose of their church. Didn't change the mission didn't change what God called them to do. They just found another way to do it. Nothing's changed for God's purpose. The Word of God says His gifts for you are without repentance. He doesn't change His mind. The Lord would say to you today, He still has His purpose for you. It's time to, it's time to step back up. It's time to step back up, He says, and, and step back into it. And then thirdly, Jesus comes to one of the disciples by the name of Thomas. Thomas was not with the disciples that first night that Jesus appeared to them behind the locked door. So it's about a week later. We pick up in verse number 24 now. And it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, "Mm." Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I can put my fingers where those nails were, boys, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. This time, Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, just try to keep Jesus out. <laughs> Let me just say this morning on this Easter Sunday, if you, if you keep locking Jesus out, he's not going to give up. He's not going to stop knocking. And apparently he doesn't even have to knock. Because that's twice he's just shown up on the scene and entered in where he needed to be and where they needed him to be. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side and... Stop doubting and believe. Wow. Jesus is kind of direct right there, isn't he? It's kind of like 
you know, some, some folks will beat around the bush trying to help you because they don't want to hurt your feelings. So they won't tell you exactly what they know they should tell you. They'll try to find a way around it. Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, look, shut up and stop doubting. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You ever heard the saying, seeing is believing? In the kingdom of God, it's just the opposite. Believing is seeing. Thomas wanted to see so he could believe. Jesus said, okay, if that's what it's going to take, here it is. But Thomas blessed truly are those who will believe without seeing. You know what? Jesus just blessed you. Unless you've had a vision, and that's perfectly possible, where you have seen a vision and Jesus revealed himself with the scars to you. I've never seen the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. But I absolutely believe the Word of God when it tells us his hands were pierced and his side was pierced. But he says, seeing or believing is actually seeing. So I want to I want to draw us close. Now I'm not closing, so don't don't think I've got three closings. I'm not closing yet, but I'm getting closer. How about that? I'm not closing. I'm closer. Amen. There we go. Believing is everything in the kingdom of God. You know, followers of Christ, those who have believed on Christ, the sins have been forgiven. They've taken up their cross and are following Him. We're called believers. We refer to ourselves sometimes as believers. What are we believing? Jesus. We're believing Jesus is our Savior. And we have chosen to make Him our Lord. So believing is everything in the kingdom. You want to see the work of Jesus in your life? You're going to have to believe. You're going to have to quit trying to figure it out. You're just going to have to believe. Let me give you some instances. Your hope for salvation comes in believing. Believing Jesus. The apostle said in Acts 16, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Saved from what? When Christians talk about salvation, what do we mean? We're talking about being saved from the punishment of sin, which is death. Death is separation from life. Sin produces eternal separation from God. In a place called in the Scriptures, hell. Can't sugarcoat it. But you see, as as bad as that news may sound, the good news is, if I will believe in Jesus, I don't have to go to hell. I will be saved from that punishment. If I believe Jesus took my sin to the cross, he was punished on my behalf, I believe that and my hope is in knowing and expecting that he has forgiven my sins, washed me and cleansed me, and no longer will I be condemned for my sin. Jesus was condemned on my behalf. We sang grace to grace. That's his grace to us. I deserve to die and be punished in eternity in hell for my own sin. But Jesus took that punishment for me if I would choose to believe. I can't see salvation without believing first. I must believe and I see my salvation. Secondly, your hope in being born again is in believing. Not only being saved from the judgment and condemnation of sin, but you literally can be born again. You can become a new creation. Jesus told Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders, look, yeah, you were born once, but you can be born again. 
When you were born the first time, thanks to Adam and Eve, our great four, 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 four fathers and four mothers, we were born into a sin nature. As cute and cuddly as we were as little bitty babies, there came a time when we could make a choice whether we're going to obey mommy or daddy or not. And given the opportunity, there's going to come some moment in time when we exercise that will against them, against authority, and certainly against God's authority in our lives. But then Jesus says, look, if, if you'll believe on me, you can be born again. Paul would say, you can become a new creation. When I got born again in 1981, I was an alcoholic. I was a drug user. I was not addicted to drugs. I was highly addicted to the life control of alcohol in my life. My life was messed up. I was like the disciples in one sense that I was lost and without purpose. I moved back from California to Houston where my folks were. Went to church one Sunday morning, cried like a baby, could not figure that out, felt absolutely ridiculous. Went back that night, some 14-year-old kid invited me to go to church to the youth group that night. I think mom helped set that up because she was good friends with his mom. And that night I gave my heart to Jesus. And I realized that night I was born again. I was made a new creation. And the reason the partying at the next band rehearsal wouldn't work for me was dad had been crucified that night at that altar. I didn't know that's what happened, but supernaturally, that's exactly what happened. And the spirit of Christ Jesus came alive in me. And I found out he didn't like that garbage that I was putting in. I wish he didn't like ding-dongs and Twinkies and Jelly Bellies so much. You can be born again. Every sin of the past forgiven. The motives, the desires, the yearnings for those things that led you there can be absolutely transformed into yearnings and longings for righteousness and life and love in Christ. You can be born again. How about this? Your hope for eternal life. You want the, you want the, the, the answer to living forever? Your hope in living forever is believing. Believing in Jesus Christ. Believing that Jesus rose from the dead. Do you believe what this is all about today on Easter Sunday? If you believe Jesus rose from the dead, you have the living hope of eternal life. How about answered prayer? Anybody, well, several of you prayed. You ever prayed and needed God to do something, do, do something because you knew it was going to have to be Him that did it? Your hope for answered prayer is in believing. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe. Believe that you have received that. Your hope for a miracle is in believing. Jesus said, all things are possible for the one who believes. Your hope for God's power to work in your life is in believing. Paul says, I pray that you understand the incredible greatness of God's power in us who believe. 
It's the same power, he says, that rose Jesus from the dead. If you were a follower, born again follower of Jesus Christ today, you have the power of the resurrection living inside of you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead 2,000 years ago is the same spirit and power that is living inside you today. If you don't know Jesus today as your personal Lord and Savior, you can you can receive him today if you'll humbly repent to him and say, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner and can't save myself, but I believe what you did on the cross was for me, and so I believe you took my sin for me. I'll turn from that, and Jesus, I turn to you today, and I ask you to come in and be Lord of my life. I will submit myself to follow you. You're born again, the very breath. Remember what Jesus did with the disciples? He breathed, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. That prayer of faith, the Holy Spirit comes in. You can't make sense of it. You may not even know it happened. You may not even feel a thing. But if you prayed it in faith, you just got born again. And when you've been born again, the power that rose Jesus from the dead now lives in you. That's why a four-and-a-half-year-old or four-and-a-half-year-long teenage alcoholic or young adult alcoholic could be set free was the power of the resurrection of Jesus came into me that night, November 13th of 1981. I didn't feel it, didn't know it. All I knew was that I needed Jesus and hoped he heard my prayer at that altar. But within the next two weeks, I discovered things are different. I've never thought like this before. I've never felt like this before. I've never wanted this before. I've, I've never not wanted this before. It's the Easter hope. Your hope for overcoming in life is in believing. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So we wrap it up right here. Believing is the key that releases the living hope of Christ into your life. Living hope means that Jesus is there in the middle of your grieving and in your brokenness to comfort you, to strengthen you, to undergird you, to help you, to give you peace. Living hope means Jesus is there caring for you when you're fearful and when you feel lost. He's restoring purpose to you today. He's restoring peace to you today that fear has stolen from you. Living hope means Jesus is with you today restoring your doubts. You see, that was the third truth, and I don't think I gave it to you, did I? The third truth, yeah, I did. The third truth, of course, that Jesus, living hope, restores us in doubt and our sense of lostness. Living hope means today you can be forgiven of sin and you can be born again. Just believe. So what's our application? What's all of this mean? One, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus... That can happen today. It can happen at any moment that you're willing to stop and surrender and submit yourself to Christ. So what's your application today? Believe. Believe and receive Christ into your heart today. Pastor, it's more complicated than that because my life's pretty complicated and I've done some crazy stuff. You haven't done anything crazier than what Jesus did for you on the cross. When he took your sin, he took your guilt, covered it in his blood, and says, if you'll believe on me, your sin is forgiven, removed as far as the east is from the west. No, i got to do something, Pastor, because I feel really bad about what I did. 
Jesus already did. You cannot do anything Jesus hasn't done for you. Jesus says, please accept my gift of grace to you. Today, if that's you, you would just simply open your heart to Jesus. And in faith, just say, Jesus, I, I, I need forgiveness of my sins. I acknowledge my sin. Please forgive me. I accept that you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe you rose from the dead that I could have hope. Let him be Lord. Let him breathe his spirit into you. But maybe you've made that step. Probably many of us have. What's our response to this living hope? To respond with faith to the Lord. If I'm living in fear, if fear has really taken a, a deep root in me, and, and you may have fear happening that you didn't even know was fear. What you might call reluctance could actually be from a root of fear. What you call uh, just playing it safe could actually have a root in fear. And if fear is a place for you today, have faith to know that Jesus will strengthen you in that place of fear. And he will replace that fear with confidence and with faith. Have faith to believe the Lord for salvation. Have faith to believe him to overcome in the present situation you find yourself today.